Beginners. Okay, intermediate. Uh, advanced. Okay, a good mix. All right, so we'll, 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 we'll make it balanced. Um, so uh, why don't just like jump in. Uh, we'll get to our intros and stuff, but you're here mostly to you know kind of hear about what's going on in the uh, interoperability world. It, you know, lots of different names. First of all, you got cross-chain, um, blockchain interoperability protocols, uh, internets of blockchains can be all a little bit confusing. So uh, Ryan, why don't you kick us off by you know defining what interoperability is? Yeah, yeah. So. Um... Essentially, when you look at all these different blockchains that are out there today, you have Ethereum, Solana, all these different uh, kind of things out there. It's kind of like if you look at uh, different financial systems today. So you have like uh, the United States, and you have like maybe like Argentina, then you have like maybe Great Britain, and each of these things kind of like have their own separate like banks that they like all those citizens can go to. What really needs to happen is like. Uh, we have this SWIFT system where we can move money amongst all of them, right? And we have other systems where we can effectively like send money through like banks that uh, it can like kind of uh, bounce around. We need something like that uh, in the crypto space. So essentially, we need to make everything interwork together uh, in a similar fashion, so that way uh, um, each blockchain can interconnect and talk to each other. Nice. And and Cole, why why is this important? Sure. So um, really, I kind of think of it as any computer that's able to talk to another computer. Are the systems able to pass information back and forth in a meaningful way where both systems understand the data? Um, so this is important for you know any business, any organization, all of us at an individual level. Um, a simple example that a lot of us see, just having um, your bank accounts, your credit cards, uh, debit cards integrate with your Apple wallet, with Apple Pay. Perfect example of different systems being able to talk to each other and then create value for a business or a customer. So in today, in um, where we're going today, we're seeing that those needs explode and the types of use cases grow and grow and grow. Um, and the amount of data that's needed to pass back and forth between these different systems to enable those features to happen, um, it, it's exploding as well. So lots of new challenges um, in this space. Cole, could you um, tell us a little bit about your background and um, some of the pain points that you've experienced and you bumped into with the lack of interoperability? Sure. So um, a little bit about me. I work for uh, the HBAR Foundation. I'm the director of analytics there. Um, and, and my primary job there is to answer the question, what are our grantees doing on-chain? So we give out grants to uh, organizations building on our blockchain um, to increase the value of the network. Um, and that's only going to be successful if the grants we give out actually translate to network activity. Um, so a big piece of what I do is I measure the network and associate that with our you know, traditional Web2 database. Um, to answer that question, how many transactions are they doing? What's the value locked on a grant level? Um, how many accounts are being created? How many active users do we have? Um, and to do that, I have to um, I had to build uh, an integration between our blockchain and our traditional um, our Salesforce database. Um, so that is one example of you know how we need to bridge uh, you know an example of interoperability adding value there. Um, before I worked for the HBAR Foundation, I was working for Twitter, um, helping them bridge their databases together. Um, and before that, I spent time working in the managed service integration industry, where uh, companies will pay tens of millions of dollars to other companies just to simply build point-to-point -point integrations. 
to make their features work, to make their products work. It is, uh, it's not easy to do and it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of work and a lot of people to, you know, create those bridges. Thanks, Cole. Uh, Ryan, will you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing as the kind of state of the art uh, in uh, bridging or um, uh, cross-chain communication and uh, also give us a little bit about your background. Yeah, yeah. So uh, bridging out there is pretty broad, but it's, it's kind of falling into a couple different categories. So you have like uh, what's called like a burn and mint bridge, which is like what Circle uses. So each of these tokens that you have out there um, have like essentially an issuer. So someone who created this and can issue out the tokens, create them and, and destroy them. Um, those are like seen as like the most secure. Um, I'm a big fan of those because effectively they can, uh, you can give them like say like USDC or like their token, they can take that, destroy it and then reproduce it on a separate chain. Um, there's no real way to, or at least from what we have seen so far, there's no really hacks or anything like that on that side. Then you have like the more like wrapped token base, which there's a decentralized and there's a centralized version of this. Uh, the wrapped Bitcoin is more of like a centralized version. Um, so essentially it's one body that's like wrapping this thing and then like handing it off. And then you have a decentralized, which that's kind of where you've seen all the hacks and all these different problems. Um, but essentially it's all at a protocol level. So everything's handled by smart contracts. Uh, the two blockchains, they build out a communication protocol between the two blockchains, they talk to each other. Uh, one essentially says, hey, I have the funds. The other one says, okay, um, let's put that in a, a contract to hold it and then reproduce a like wrap token or like a uh, derivative token on this destination chain. Um, as far as like bleeding edge, uh, each of those are kind of having their own different faults, but I do like the burning mint bridge. Um, as far as my background, though, uh, I'm the founder of a company called Sphere One. We're building an abstracted cross-chain payments platform. Um, essentially, our idea is to abstract the overall experience for the user. Um, we see it as like a huge hindrance for adoption and um, allow people who have tokens across multiple chains to seamlessly purchase and buy things with that. Um, before I was doing this, I, was, I essentially have founded a couple other different companies in the past. Um, both my parents were entrepreneurs, so I've been in the space for a while, kind of seen it growing up, which is pretty cool. And uh, I've been coding for pretty much since I was 10, so it's been, been fun. Nice, Ryan. I, I've been, I think of the bridging, I, I break it down a little differently in my mind. Um, yeah, because there's like a lot of like tactics, so ways you can like move information from one blockchain to another. But the, the standard that I'm seeing emerging is IBC, and uh, within the Cosmos ecosystem, and you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm a huge shill for them, so I'm wearing the shirt just to make it real obvious. I was a uh, co-founder of Tendermint, so I'm um, speaking my book. Um, but uh, um, the thing that is that um, I think the market is responding really well to with IBC is the fact that the validator set is the same as the protocol validators. So it, you get all the security from the protocol validators uh, without needing to like stand up this like separate group of validators um, that you know oftentimes uh, when you do these kinds of like burn and mints or these other things there's like a group of people that are um, controlling that validator set and so then and that you know with uh, a relatively minimal amount of liquidity compared to the whole protocol's liquidity um, and all the decentralization that's at the protocol level. Um, what, what do you think about IBC and, and their approach? Do you think that that's 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm up here. Totally forgot about IBC. I feel kind of bad, but no, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of IBC. Um, there's actually I met some founders of a company called Polymer Labs. Um, they're essentially bringing IBC to um, other blockchains. So they're trying to bring it over to Ethereum and, and pretty much anything else they can get their hands on. Um, they're doing some amazing things. If y'all haven't seen their uh, project. Yeah, um, Layer Zero is also doing some things to extend uh, IBC compatibility. Effectively, IBC natively, you um, uh, you need to have uh, maybe a little too technical, but full white client support on each blockchain, and only works with proof of stake blockchain. So it's sort of like just imagine like natively, IBC only worked with a subset of blockchains that um, were proof of stake and like opted in to work with it. And now some of these new technologies, like the one you mentioned in Layer Zero, kind of like expand the reach of IBC. Um, and so this is like a big theme when it comes to standards uh, and who's going to win um, and how are we going to kind of have this true interoperable world. You know, in this true interoperable world, it's like, in my mind, it's there's like one major player and then there's like a bunch of technologies that facilitate them interoperating with all the other kind of like smaller players. Um, but what do you think? What do you, do you guys think, uh, Cole, do you think it's a, a winner take all when it comes to bridges and interoperability or is it just, you know, this is a massive, massive mesh and bridges and yeah. So I think there's definitely going to be some some standards that emerge that most people adopt. Um, you know, going back in history, we've seen REST APIs really take off as how people move data back and forth between uh, systems at high volume. And I'm glad you brought up uh, burn and mint bridges because I I really like those uh, specifically the circle one that you brought up. Um, very simple to make that API call to the central server that Circle's running. And you know, let's say you have USDC minted on Ethereum and you want to move it to the Avalanche chain or, or the HBAR chain. Um, it's just one API call away. So that's really powerful. Developers can just hop into that and start making that. And I think that's kind of what's going to uh, determine how much of this gets adopted and how quickly it gets adopted. And we're starting to see those, um, I think we're starting to see those players emerge uh, with the IBC and, and the Chainlink stuff as well. So very excited. Yeah, how are you thinking, since you're in the weeds, um, you know, building and tooling that's connecting to all sorts of different chains, how, how are you seeing the, um, like the, the development toolkits emerging and the documentation support? Like, how hard is it to use these new bridges and this new interoperability technology? Uh, it, it's been pretty fun. Um, uh, it, it's uh, depending on which project you're looking at, um, they have varying ranges amount of documentation or uh, support. Um, sometimes you can actually just talk to like the developers themselves that are working on the projects, um, which that's been extremely helpful because that kind of gives you a little bit more of a, not just a way to like kind of understand what's going on behind the scenes, but like also like kind of uh, a support system. So like if you're having an issue integrating something or using something, uh, they can kind of help walk you through it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of varying um, depending on like, I guess, like project uh, maturity. Do either of you have any thoughts about like killer apps that could emerge that aren't feasible now because we don't have proper interoperability? Yes, I, I can think of a, several that are simply limited by the data volume. Uh, specifically with blockchain data, um, pretty much all of these projects are generating tons of data. Um, any project that's you know has a lot of uh, transactions is generating more data than you know you could load up onto a spreadsheet very easily it would crash your computer so i think there's a lot of hardware limitations for just 
simple code running loops on this data to try to run simple analysis, just running basic SQL queries that are, it's challenging to get the data. So right now there's, I mean, yeah, any sort of ML application, any sort of machine learning or AI application really needs all that data crunched quickly. So I think there's a hardware limitation right now. And um, I look forward to seeing uh, the hardware side get smaller and faster and consuming less energy. Um, and I think that's going to unlock a lot more applications specifically in the data science side, which is where I get really excited about, about the future. Um, having uh, where interoperability is more, um, you know, it's more widespread throughout more applications. Those, um, you know, the machine learning algorithms and AI applications will be able to um, acquire more data, bring it together and come up with new insights that help all of our applications. Um, that, that's where I get really, really excited about the next like 10, 15 years. Yeah, I've seen some um, data aggregation plays uh, because it's important to get those on chain because what's effectively happening is a lot of that's happening off chain uh, currently. And because of the problem Cole mentioned, you just, there, there's just bandwidth issues. And so like as soon as you pull that information off chain and you try to like synthesize it or clean it or whatever, then you can't, you know, you kind of lose all of the trust of everything on chain. Like how do you know once they cleaned it, they didn't tamper with it. So um, I think that's spot on. I, and I don't think enough people talk about how much interoperability impacts a lot of these like data plays. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with token movement. So like uh, my main thing is I think like if there was a really good like intercommunication layer and people stuck on like one standard, um, the hope is that we could actually kind of get rid of the uh, existing bridging system and more or less like uh, perform like what's called like atomic swaps. So you could essentially just exchange across chains. Um, and, and instead of doing these whole wrapping tokens, you could just say, hey, I want to take Ethereum and exchange it for Avalanche. And then you could do it in one step instead of like multiple. How do you think that would work? Well, I think there's either two ways. Either one, you could do like a centralized source with that. Um, or yeah, it would be like a communication layer. So like if you were able to actually like facilitate um, communication amongst all, all participants, um, you could probably have this like kind of cross-chain AMM or some kind of sort. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think probably what will end up happening first is we'll end up having a centralized entity perform this first uh, because they can kind of uh, forcefully manage the liquidity across all the chains and coordinate the efforts easier than like a decentralized one. Interesting. To uh, just to add a couple pieces there, I think that's really interesting. Um, so you can have your your centralized service like the Burn and Mint bridges with uh, with Circle, where you send your request to Circle, they take care of it on their end. Or um, I've seen I've seen where Monero, the Monero community, is trying to put together, you know, their unstoppable swap, their atomic swap. That I guess it's an automated market maker behind the scenes that's taking Bitcoin orders and then matching them with Monero orders in a trustless way. So I think you're going to see two different uh, communities of people that want to use one for you know more business applications, uh, more stablecoin stuff, and then the Monero Bitcoin side of people that are doing the the full trustless. Um, uh, atomic swap piece. So really interested, interested to see how many other atomic swap type uh, programs come online over the next like 12 months. That's a very interesting piece. Outside of the tokens, uh, what are y'all seeing for bridges that are either transporting information like CCIP um, or that are doing more like, you know, cross-chain smart contract calls and things like that that are more um, data oriented than just uh, token oriented? 
You're, are, are there any? Okay, what do you think about CCIP, a cross-chain information protocol from oh, Chainlink? Oh, I'm, I'm excited for CCIP yeah. for sure. I mean, um, I think Chainlink has done amazing things so far. Can you define what it is? Uh, essentially, from what I understand, it's Chainlink's new standard to essentially create um, an intercommunication protocol. So essentially, like, they are trying to build out uh, their own standard um, versus, like, anything else that's out there. Um, but... Like, I think Chainlink, essentially everything I've seen from them so far has been phenomenal. So I'm pretty excited for it. But uh, based off of what I've seen, it's pretty uh, guarded information thus far. The, um, the way I describe it is it's like if you need information, say you're running, um, um, Jonathan Libby might be here somewhere. He's like you're running, a, he's working on a smart um, insurance play. And so if um, so there's an insurance play on um, Polymath or um, uh, on Matic, um, and that uh, that contract needs data from Solana, then traditionally you would need to put um, execution code on each blockchain. And now you could just take information from Solana, like maybe a, um, a stablecoin depact on Solana. And so you send that chain link, would send that information about a price or an activity or on one chain, send that to wherever you want it. And so then you could sort of like have all the execution like in whatever, when on whatever blockchain is most convenient and fastest and cheapest for you. And then like, then you can sort of like bomb in information and um, chain link already has this, all these trusted nodes. And so they're already kind of sending information we trust them to give us, um, you know, all sorts of data. So then the, the lo jump in logic is, well, maybe we can trust them to give other kinds of data um, and use it to, you know, power smart contracts. And um, so again, there's, and then there's there another flavor is, um, I think it's called Nomad that does the Evmos uh, bridge. And that's just more general purpose. There's uh, less, like, like within the cosmos, like one bridge is gravity bridge. It's really just focused on tokens coming back and forth from Ethereum, but then others are more general purpose that can really, that can actually start calling contracts on Ethereum and executing code. So um, the nice thing is we're really brute forcing all the bridges and interoperability like we tend to do in crypto is just like throw all the world's smartest people and, and minds at it. Um, what, um, or are there any particular bridges that um, uh, you'd want to talk about or anything that's uh, particularly exciting to you in the space? I mean, uh, layer zero is like one that I think that I liked quite a bit. Um, there's been a lot of bridges that have had their own issues. Um, like Nomad was one. Um, and so like we focus a lot on the security piece. Uh, he's not here, but my co-founder is, um, has a cybersecurity background. So we are hyper-focused on security and what we use in our stack. Um, but uh, there's been a lot of different issues. A lot of them haven't really been all that... Uh, like complex either, which has been kind of interesting to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like layer zero quite a bit. I think what they're doing, the team is probably pretty good. Um, there's a lot of communication protocols that are coming out there, like Polymer that I mentioned that I really like. Um, and then there's uh, Axelar, which is also a really good one. Um, what is, what's Axelar's niche? I never quite learned that one. It's, it's essentially, it's just, they're trying to create their own standard. Okay. So, so same kind of thing, but they want to have their own standard and just intercommunicate and they want to do it at a very, um, fast rate. Um, I mean, I feel like that's what most of these like products are doing. Um, but I just know some people that are a part of that program. 
Cole, what about we haven't touched on Ethereum yet? That's uh, the mother of all mother of all bridges and interoperability. What do you think about uh, what's going on with the uh, Ethereum community right now? Yeah, so I think um, well, I think the Ethereum community is. I mean, they're doing their thing, but I think everyone kind of adjacent to the Ethereum community is thinking, how do we position ourselves with Ethereum for the long haul? What's that going to look like for us, and what are what, what's our role going to be going forward? Um, so, you know, at the HBAR uh, ecosystem, we have, you know, spun up our Ethereum bridge. We've made sure that's, you know, a big focus of ours, um, where you're able to wrap your, you know, Hedera tokens on the Ethereum uh, network and vice versa. Um, so I think, I think that's where everything's going uh, for people that want to make sure that they're going to be around in a few years and make sure that their unique uh, features of their chain are going to, you know, you can at least still get that done with a Solidity contract on Ethereum. Um, so I think that's kind of where things are going for everyone that's sort of around Ethereum. Um, but again, those data volume problems are going to persist. A lot of these, you know, issues that, you know, were kind of, um, more top of mind in the IT community, um, in the, you know, 10 years ago, like big data information or, um, internet of things, those two things specifically, I think are, you know, major challenges for um, pretty much all chains to really grow and get to that next level where we're unlocking all of these new features quickly with very short development uh, cycles. Um, yeah, so those are the things I'll be looking for over the next few years. Yeah, it does seem like all chains are bumping into this problem now. For a while, there were, uh, you know, like chains like Solana, which are positioning themselves as um, more of these um, like really large uh, mainframes. Think about like Solana as a mainframe and then like Cosmos or even Ethereum now as more like a choose your own device. Um, and with a mainframe, you don't need to worry about interoperability. You just have huge amounts of throughput, um, huge amounts of speed and performance in like one location. But now I think and, and what we're seeing is even those folks that were kind of use that as an initial design principle are saying like, hey, actually it's not that useful to you know be on an island and be Galapagos Solana Island over here. Like we need to figure out a way to to work with the rest of the ecosystem. Um, and we also have to like at some point if we're successful, this chain too will fill up. And so even, even the Solanas of the world now I'm seeing putting more and more emphasis on um, um, on bridging. And uh, my, my, my bet is that the people that take bridging at like the foundation um, and really think thoroughly about that at conception instead of it being kind of an afterthought um, are the ones that will succeed the most and are most likely to be the standard. Um, yeah, go for it. Oh, five minutes. Well, uh, but yeah, we, we, so we have five minutes left. Um, any questions from the audience? Anyone, anything, any of y'all want us to touch on? Someone's got something. There you go. Sorry. Uh, one thing I've heard about light clients is that uh, the more complicated the contract call gets, the more expensive they can get on gas. Are there any solutions for making light clients cheaper to deploy across multiple different chains? Or is uh, Adam still kind of leading that? Yeah, that's actually what layer zero does. And so um, be, when you have the persistent light client, it's like you're, you're in this like constant communication uh, 
um, and that's what creates all the gas. And so you're constantly pinging the other blockchain. And so that's why it gets expensive. And um, Layer Zero's innovation was to effectively batch those communications. And so it's just sort of on demand. Um, and they use uh, the oracles from Chainlink to do it. And so they say whenever they need information from another chain, they say, okay. So there's, and then, so that's um, a good example of, you know, we got pretty good with a standard, but, you know, it was, we realized there were some faults and the communities coming and uh, you, you don't you work with layer zero did I categorize that correctly yeah, yeah that was perfect yeah. and anything else somebody's got something we got, we got time for one more back there yeah. I can repeat the question too if it's thanks so uh, a lot of the talk about interoperability is moving things across one chain to another but what about interoperability in terms of having data stored on each chain in a format that's universally understood, so you wouldn't necessarily have to move things across chains? Do you guys think there's a future for that type of technology? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, if, I mean, that's a big problem we face in our ecosystem is that the API is uh, not uh, familiar to a lot of people. It's not, you don't process it in the same way. Um, that you would on the, like, the Ethereum, uh, retrieving data from the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of developers know how to get data uh, in a certain way right now. For example, uh, people know how to do SQL very, very well. And a lot of ecosystems are not able to, you know, they don't have an SQL terminal where you can just go get data straight from the ecosystem. Um, so yeah, I think making uh, databases, data structures that people already know how to get data from, absolutely, there's a massive opportunity there. Nice, yep, I, is that it? All right, well, thanks everybody, appreciate that. Yep. Yeah, I turn. All right, can you just keep the round of applause going? Appreciate everybody for being here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. Hey, Cryptocurrent crew. We want to give a quick shout out to all of our faithful listeners out there. It's been an amazing journey and we really appreciate your support throughout the years as we've been growing as a community. Each episode, we decided that we would start sharing some of the reviews that you were leaving for us. For today, we would like to share this review. Today's review comes from Pirate M who said, This podcast is great. I didn't know that much about cryptocurrency before I started listening, but now I feel great. The topics covered and guests are all fantastic. Additionally, the information is easy to understand, even if you aren't that well-versed because of how entertaining the whole show is. We sincerely appreciate this review and all reviews and would like to ask that if you're enjoying our show, please take a quick moment to go and leave a review on our podcast so that hopefully we can be highlighting your review next. Simply go to our show notes or go to our website where we have a link where you can share your review today. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on today's episode and all of our episodes, please visit us at www.crypto-current.co. You can also find a link in the show notes. Want to stay up to date in the latest news in cryptocurrency? Sign up for our newsletter today. You'll receive daily emails Monday through Friday that are personalized and curated content specific to you and your interest, powered by artificial intelligence. You can either go to our show notes or go to our website to sign up today. We would like to give a special shout out to our Moon sponsor, Acacia Digital. 
Acacia invests in partners with early-stage blockchain companies who are solving complex problems in large markets. Acacia partners with projects that have established technology and communities. Acacia supports public projects exhibiting strong momentum and capacity to grow into large markets. Acacia also directly participates in limited releases such as NFTs tied to unique experiences, access, or products. For more information, go to acaciadigital.io. Again, that's acaciadigital.io. Are you an accredited investor looking to invest in cryptocurrency? Crescent City Capital can help. Go to crescentcitycapital.com for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, but the quality of our podcast each week are improving. I can only thank my amazing producer, Andrew DeRitter with DeRitter Productions, who has been putting all of this together. If you have any podcast, music, or audio needs, please go to DeRitterProductions.com.